0: JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Live from New York, I'm Allison Kosick in for Julia Chatterley. This is First Move and here's your need to know. Record seizure. A New York couple arrested as the feds recover $3.6 billion of stolen cryptocurrencies. Restrictions easing. Boris Johnson signals an early end to all COVID restrictions in England. And supply chain fears. Protesters block a key trade route between the U.S. and Canada. It's Wednesday. Let's make a move. A very warm welcome to First Move. Great to have you with us. Let's begin with a look at the global markets. And it's a risk-on day for much of the investment world. U.S. futures are solidly higher after Wall Street's across-the-board gains Tuesday. Europe on the rise as well after a profitable session in Asia. Despite all the volatility of recent weeks, the S&P 500 is now trading flat for February so far. And the Dow? It's just 4% away from all-time highs. All this despite continued uncertainty over Russia's intentions over Ukraine. A mixed earnings picture for big tech and the rise in global bond yields which make it more expensive for everyone to borrow. U.S. 10-year yields are easing a bit today but still are close to two percent levels. German yields look lower today as well after 11 straight days of gains. The big test for fixed income markets that's coming tomorrow when we get the latest look at US consumer price inflation that's expected to hit highs we haven't seen since the early 80s. Let's get right to the drivers. A couple from New York have been arrested on charges of conspiring to launder four and a half billion dollars in stolen cryptocurrency. Ilya Lichtenstein and his wife, Heather Morgan, were arrested on Tuesday after a six-year investigation into the hack of a virtual currency exchange. The attorney general's office has described it as the department's largest financial seizure ever. Sean Lingus joins us now. So, Sean, I understand it's been six years since that Bitcoin was stolen and now these arrests.
2: That's right. Uh, investigators followed the money and, in this case, uh, the blockchain Allison, uh, you know, Bitcoin, there's a record of of these transactions despite the reputation of digital currency that giving anonymity to people online, it's actually quite traceable and this is an example of of how the FBI and other investigators are able to track some of the movements of this currency and uh, the people that were that were moving it and um, I've been covering cybersecurity for 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 several years now and, and, and virtual currency and I have to say this is one of the more uh, bizarre um, uh, stories that I've covered because it involves a uh, amateur rapper. Uh, the, the um, Heather Morgan, one of the accused, uh, has a, a YouTube video in which she, she's rapping uh, talking about uh, Bitcoin and uh, calling herself the uh, expletive uh, crocodile of Wall Street. Uh, and then uh, this young couple is also very entrepreneurial and um, you know, interested in cryptocurrency, and, and I, I, I suppose you could describe them as influencers. Uh, CNN was not able to, to reach them for comment, uh, but uh, they made their first uh, court appearance yesterday uh, in, in New York. Allison.
1: Very interesting video we're watching there. The funny thing is, is that's right outside the New York Stock Exchange where she's, she filmed her video. In, one thing that comes to mind, you know, you talked about how this is all very trackable for authorities, but it did take six years. And those who lost that Bitcoin... Uh, What recourse do they have?
2: That's a great question, one that we posed yesterday to uh, the Department of Justice during a press call. Um, The Justice Department official not wanting to wade into that too too much because it's an ongoing investigation. They did indicate that they're going to try to sort of make those victims whole by by, uh, tracking down the money and and hopefully uh, um, getting it back to some of the victims. Um, And I would also point out, Allison, that they haven't announced charges against who actually hacked the cryptocurrency exchange. So uh, that seems to also be under investigation. But yet yeah, a lot of money, uh, the, the price of Bitcoin is constantly fluctuating. But like you said, this is the largest seizure uh, the Justice Department has ever done. And so I think victims are going to be wondering where their money is.
1: Yeah, still lots of questions with this one. Sean Lingus, thanks so much for all of your reporting. England could soon do away with all coronavirus restrictions, including rules around self-isolation for people who test positive for COVID-19. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson signaled the move during today's Parliament session.
3: Provided the current encouraging trends in the data continue, it is my expectation that we will be able to end the last domestic restrictions, including the legal requirement to self-isolate if you test positive, A full month early.
1: Salma Abdelaziz joins us now from London. Salma, so what's behind this decision?
4: Well, let's go through what the decision is, first of all. So all restrictions were set to be lifted March 24th. The prime minister saying that now could happen a month early, as in it could end by the end of February. By and large, restrictions have been lifted here, though. Alison, masks are not mandated. The streets are full of people. People are back at work. Essential businesses are functioning. This really comes down to the requirement to isolate and to travel rules. So right now, if you test positive for COVID-19, you have to isolate for five days. That would be lifted. You would no longer be required to isolate. Now, the prime minister says that's because the data is good. And if it continues to be good, then he can lift those restrictions. But it does come as a surprise because infection rates are still high. Uh, there was over 300 deaths. I have down uh, over 300 deaths just uh, yesterday. In the last seven days, deaths have increased as well. So there is some concern. I want to pull up a quote for you from one of the bereaved groups. These are family members of people who have died of COVID-19 in this country. We're going to pull up that quote for you. The prime minister might wish that this disease was no more dangerous than the flu, but the reality is that he is throwing the most vulnerable in our society to the wolves. Once again, there seems to be a failure in 10 Downing Street to recognize what their own COVID-19 policies mean for others in comparison to themselves. Once again, that's the key part here, Alison, because the prime minister right now is embroiled in this party gate scandal. So his critics are saying the prime minister is doing this because it's a popular move, right? Let's lift all COVID restrictions, something to distract from the fact that he's literally fighting for his political life right now, Alison.
1: Yeah, and as uh, the prime minister announces these restrictions lifting early, um, some new pictures about Partygate are coming to light?
4: Absolutely, this was discussed in Parliament today. A picture has leaked to one of the local papers here. It appears to show the Prime Minister at one of these alleged events in question, December 2020. It was a time in which there was apparently a quiz that was held at 10 Downing Street. You can see people in the picture with tinsel, uh, dressed in very festive December-like clothing. But the key part is there was a big bottle of champagne. It appears on the table. seen and is working to verify this latest image to these claims. But again, it adds to that reputation, to that image of a government that was essentially partying it up during lockdown. You have 16 different gatherings now that are under question. Uh, an investigation which uh, a preliminary report, a, a summary report was released, the Sue Gay, Gray report rather, last week found failures of leadership, failures of judgment, excessive drinking at 10 Downing Street. There's still a police investigation that is ongoing. The prime minister, of course, asked about this picture and parliament evaded the question and said, you got that wrong and moved on. And that's really been his strategy here, Alison, as you saw with this announcement about COVID restrictions being lifted, as you saw with his reaction in Parliament to that question, it is distract and delay, move on and talk about anything but party (laughs) gate. But this is not going to go away for the prime minister. Again, a police investigation still underway. His party right now really deciding what to do with their man, with Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Alison.
1: Yeah, not so easy to distract and deflect when new pictures come out you know, on a weekly basis. Sam Abdelaziz in London, thanks so much. A trucker protest over COVID-19 restrictions that started in the Canadian capital, Ottawa, last month is beginning to disrupt American supply chains. The Freedom Convoy is now blocking a critical connector between the U.S. and Canada, and the turmoil could soon start affecting American wallets. Paula Newton joins us now. Paula, great to see you. I know you've been covering this from the start. It's been going on, what, more than two weeks now. Um, and now it's becoming really disruptive.
5: Yeah, I mean, the escalation continues. And again, this movement, Alison, seems to have a momentum all its own. Now, you met, mentioned there what was going on in that bridge. I mean, think about it, Alison. This actually, this bridge is responsible for some people say a quarter of in a year of all the trade between US and Canada. And just to give you an idea, if we just take the auto industry, Allison, apparently, if you're making uh, parts for those automobiles, for one vehicle, those parts can literally cross the border back and forth hundreds of times just to make one car. That is what is at stake here. I have to tell you, protesters obviously know that, which is why they're at the bridge. Uh, And right now authorities trying to figure out what to do. They say they do not want to have a confrontation. At the same time, uh, it is escaping no one, especially uh, at the White House with the Biden administration, what this could mean for already strained supply chains. Uh, What do these protesters want? You know, you just heard We'll talk about how the UK is back to, we'll call it normal, whatever that is, Alison, right? I mean, people here in Canada say, look, they've been compliant. Um, They are vaccinated. A lot of them are vaccinated. Some of them are against vaccine mandates. They just want it all to go back to normal. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, uh, really reluctant to insinuate himself in this, saying, look, I'm not going to be negotiating with angry crowds. At the same time, you know, we're keeping a wary eye, Alison, on other border crossings. I I think protesters here have seen an Achilles heel and are wondering that, look, they seem to be able to sow chaos, Alison, wherever they go. And authorities reluctant to do anything. Uh, many people fed up. Allison, I want to say this is a, a vocal minority, but it is a minority. And many Canadians, including beleaguered healthcare workers, are starting to say, "Look, enough is enough." And when you start to think of all the supply ch- chain disruptions that we've already had, the fact that this could lead to more, uh, this is really a state of crisis on both sides of the border. Allison,
1: any signs of them uh, giving up anytime soon, or this they're going to stick it out for much longer? You think?
5: I mean, Allison, they are supplied, whether it's here in the downtown core in Ottawa, and I know people have seen the pictures from here or on those bridges. They say they have food, they have fuel, they will stick it out. I will say, and I hate to use any hyperbole here, they say, well, if someone points a gun at me, I've heard that uh, said before. But, Alison, short of really trying to negotiate your way through this, this will go on for some days. You know, it's like an old-fashioned sit-in, really, that you're used to mm-hmm. seeing. It's a truck-in, and they're prepared to use it. They're also, you know, they say that they come through peace. They want this to end. And you know, I was just looking at a video from the Bridges, Alison. There are people playing a pickup game of hockey there. That'll give you the idea of how long they are going to be stuck in.
1: Uh, Clearly, they're finding creative ways to pass the time, and it means that we will continue coming back to you for your great reporting. Paula Newton, thanks so much. Now to Beijing, where the Winter Olympics are underway, and the U.S. skiing superstar Michaela Schifrin suffering another big disappointment. Selena Wang joins us live from Beijing. You know, it's hard to not feel her heartbreak in watching how the events unfolded for her. And Allison, you could hear it in her voice, this is two bitter disappointments in just three
6: days. On Monday, you saw her crash out of the course in her first attempt. And now again, on her opening attempt, she was skiing off the line. These are some of her best events, some of her best opportunities to meddle. But she said the nerves were high, the pressure was high. And this is what she had to say. She said, quote, It's a letdown of everything, letting down myself, letting down other people. I will try to reset again, but I also don't know how to be better. I just how to do better because I just don't. I've never been in this position before and I don't know how to handle it. And Allison, heartbreaking. She also said she's now second-guessing everything. She's second-guessing her career, her technique, everything that she's done for more than a decade, huge mental pressure on her. But in brighter news for Team USA, Team USA winning its first gold and snowboard cross, Lindsay Jacobellis. She's 36-year-old. She's had near misses in previous games. But now for her fifth Winter Olympics, Allison, this is amazing, finally topping that medal podium.
1: Congratulations to her. All right, what what is the reaction in Beijing to Eileen Gu and Zhu Yi? Why is there such a contrast there? Yeah,
6: Allison, this is really fascinating because they are both born and raised in the US but competing for Team China, but the reception in China, the reaction could not be more different. Eileen Gu, of course, stealing the gold, huge talent there. She's being praised on state media as being an idol for the world. Compare that to Zhu Yi who is an ice skater and she fell during her competition, and then was called a disgrace on Chinese social media. Eileen Gu not just being praised for her talent, but also for speaking fluent Mandarin and for understanding the culture, Zhu Yi being shamed for not speaking the language fluently. Now, it's important to mention that it is common internationally for people to change citizenship for sport and In fact, for these Winter Olympics, China has more than a dozen foreign-born athletes that are competing for Team China. But these athletes of Chinese descent, they are often put under the microscope, and they do face this relentless scrutiny. And Eileen Gu, too, she's also walking this tightrope internationally. She has faced criticism for what some say are putting profits and these big sponsorships, while prioritizing that while staying silent on China's human rights record. She has dodged questions as well about her citizenship. Now, this is as, of course, she has been trying to portray this message that she's trying to bridge cultures, that she's proud of both her American and her Chinese background. And she said she's competing for Team China in order to promote sport in the country, that she even wants to bridge and forge friendships between nations. Allison, that is a very difficult task amid rising U.S.-China tensions. And here in China, she is really the poster of these Beijing Winter Olympic Games. And some say she's even more than that. She's also a projection of China's soft power. Allison.
1: So many pressures on these athletes. Selena Wang, thanks so much. And these are the stories making headlines around the world. The leaders of France, Germany and Poland have met in Berlin to discuss Russia's standoff with Ukraine. In a statement, they urged Moscow to de-escalate tensions and warned of severe consequences if it attacks. The British foreign secretary is expected to repeat that message to Russia when she visits Moscow later. While Western politicians work for a diplomatic resolution, people in Ukraine are preparing for the worst. And in the country's second biggest city, they have reason to be uneasy. CNN's Sam Kiley reports.
3: Kharkiv is Ukraine. Glory to Ukraine. Russian troops and ships muster on land and at sea. And few places in Ukraine feel more vulnerable than Kharkiv. Here is is only 30 miles from the Russian border. It's a city of about a million and a half people. At least 75% of them speak Russian as a mother tongue. And demonstrations like this are important because this city could be one of the first to get attacked in the event of an invasion. Volodymyr Zelensky, the president, has warned as much. that US officials are saying that Vladimir Putin could order an attack at any time.
0: Every day I'm trying to be calm and I'm trying to go through my daily routine, but I'm trying to have the thought, OK, where are my documents, uh, where is food, uh, where is my mom? do
1: I have enough money?
3: In a city that's been identified as a potential Russian target by the Ukrainian president, there are attempts to carry on as normal. <laughs> but for many, this is the new normal.
5: I don't want uh, to flee, so I need to protect the city, my home, my family.
3: Ukraine has expanded its military, but it's a long way behind Russia in military might. So it's taking these wrecked T-64 tanks from the 1960s and rebuilding them from the chassis up to rush to the front lines. Much like Ukraine is trying to build and defend a democracy in a landscape much haunted by the Russian-dominated Soviet Union. Sam Kiley, CNN Kharkiv. Thank
1: you. Thank you for clarifying. Denmark's Queen and the King of Spain have both tested positive for COVID-19, according to palace statements. Queen Marguerite has canceled a winter holiday and is staying at a palace in Copenhagen where she's displaying mild symptoms. In Spain, King Philippe VI, whose symptoms are also mild, has suspended his official activities for seven days. Coming up on First Move, full steam ahead for the shipping giant, Maersk, plotting a course through the pandemic and capitalizing on supply chain issues. And as the semiconductor shortage continues into the new year, we'll take the view of Chipmaker Global Foundries. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Allison Kosick. U.S. F- stock futures remain solidly higher with tech set to build on yesterday's strong 1.2 percent rise. Investors hoping that robust earnings can keep the upward momentum going. Twitter. Coca-Cola and Pepsi report their latest results tomorrow. Disney reports results after the closing bell today. The company's streaming revenues will take on added importance after Netflix reported disappointing quarterly subscription growth and weak guidance. Shares of Disney have fallen 25 percent this past year, and they are down 8 percent for 2022 so far. Meantime, shares of Facebook parent company Meta are on track to rise for the first time in five sessions. Meta's market cap has fallen below $600 billion after the company's mega earnings disappointment last week. Shipping giant Maersk has had a blockbuster 2021 thanks to global supply issues related to the pandemic. Congestion at ports, container shortages, and a surge in demand have all driven growth and profitability for the company. Maersk is predicting more of the same before the situation eases later in the year. Let's get more and bring in Soren Sko. He is the CEO of Maersk. So grateful for your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So your earnings basically show that, you know, the disruption in the supply chain has been working in Maersk's favor, bringing in record revenue in 2021. But, you know, this is much the same for the global container firms as a whole. How does it feel that you're bringing in this kind of revenue on the back of rising prices that are actually hitting consumers so hard?
7: Well, our, our situation is actually that uh, that we have never had as high uh, customer satisfaction scores uh, as we had leaving 2021. We have worked very hard to to help our customers in in what have been for them very difficult situations with their global supply chains. We have added a lot of capacity as much as we could on the shipping side. We have. Uh, invested in a lot more containers. We have opened 85 warehouses. And, uh, and overall, uh, our book of business with long-term customers that sign contracts with us has grown a lot. So so actually, our cost, we are experiencing actually that our customers feel we are doing a good job for them on under on the, on the difficult uh, circumstances.
1: That higher revenue is tied to um, higher shipping costs that others have to pay, though.
7: Yeah, sure. Fre- freight rates have gone up, uh, uh, which explains a lot of our growth. But we are actually also growing, particularly our landside logistics business, uh, a lot, which is also adding. But but we have a, uh, if you will, a perfect storm on shipping markets in the sense that demand has spiked in in 2000 and. And and 21, you know, compared to compared to uh, 2020, global demand was up 8 8 percent. And but in particularly in the U.S., it was up a lot more than that. At the same time, capacity has been constrained by the bottlenecks that we have seen, uh, and we still see today. Uh, so uh, right now, uh, we have close to 90 ships uh, lying waiting uh, uh, outside Los Angeles and Long Beach to get discharged. They wait for three to four weeks. Uh, because we can't get enough labor uh, in the in the port. So the combination of much stronger demand and 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 and, uh, and lower capacities it has driven up uh, uh, has driven up the the freight rates.
1: And thanks very much for giving us all those details about this, still the challenges that remain. Is the supply chain are things improving at all right now? and what kind of year do you think it will be for global supply chains?
7: Well, actually, I, right now the situation does not appear to get uh, significantly better. We still see this surge of demand. Actually, we have had for quite a number of months now uh, a belief that there is unmet demand out there in the market. So, so the global trade is actually constrained by the shipping capacity that is available. At the same time, we still see this uh, long queue, uh, particularly in the U.S. and uh, particularly in, in in Los Angeles, uh, not really, not really moving. Uh, you know, very or only very slowly. So, so uh, our bookings are strong. Uh, we expect a, a first quarter very similar to the fourth quarter and also expect a, quite a strong uh, uh, second quarter this year. So I wish I could say that things are getting better. But right now, there's nothing uh, in our numbers to suggest so.
1: Okay. So with things not getting better any faster, is there anything you want businesses to know that they could maybe do to get <clears throat> things to move more smoothly?
7: I think we all need to get uh, get more labor. That's that's the thing that can really uh, move the needle. More labor in the ports today in Los Angeles, we operate more, the largest uh, container terminal in Los Angeles. And we're not able to get uh, sufficient labor to operate all the cranes that we have. So it means that it takes longer to o- offload the ships and reload them again. And that's that's really what, what means that we get the queue. But it's not only at the terminals, it's also in trucking, it's in warehousing and so on, where we, we need labor to get back, uh, and, and hopefully with the with, uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, restriction uh, lifting and, and fewer and fewer people getting seriously ill, that this will also happen in the next uh, few quarters.
1: And you mentioned trucking as one of the issues here in the whole supply chain mess. You are buying a company, Pilot Freight Services. That is a trucking firm. Talk us through what's your thinking behind this deal.
7: We want to, to our U.S. customers, be able to uh, offer a, an end-to-end uh, logistics solutions all the way from their manufacturing uh, uh, plants in, in, in Asia and to either the consumer or the brick-and-mortar store. And, and we have been buying uh, companies that help us put together that value proposition. Uh, a California company called Performance Team, uh, Visible Logistics, and now uh, Pilot Freight Services. All of those uh, acquisitions enabled us to both serve our customers when it comes to uh, delivering a product to brick and mortar stores, but also serving our customers when they want to fulfill orders that they have uh, received online. And, uh, and we need to, to, to uh, deliver goods to a fine end consumer.
1: Now, a lot of people dealing with higher oil prices, higher gas prices. I'm curious how o- higher oil prices have weighed on your most recent quarter. How much higher is Merck's fuel bill?
7: Well, it's up a lot, uh, and for us, that it's a big deal. We spent. In the neighborhood of five billion dollars last year on fuel, and when it goes up 30, 40, 50 percent, it it matters. Uh, it matters for us, uh, uh, you know, very quickly. So, so fuel is uh, is one inflationary uh, element we have to deal with. But there are also others uh, uh, that uh, you know, labor cost is going up, uh, port cost is going up, uh, the ships that we lease, uh, prices for those have gone up a lot. So, so we are we are we are managing uh, through a period of high inflation.
1: Okay, Soren Sko, CEO of Merck. Thanks so much for your time today. Stay with First Move. The market open is next. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Allison Kosick. U.S. stocks are up and running this Wednesday, and as expected, we have a higher open here across the board. With tech currently in the lead. A pause in the rise of global bond yields. That's helping to boost the market mood that we're seeing today. But all that could change tomorrow if U.S. consumer inflation numbers come in hotter than expected. Stocks in the news today include Peloton. The exercise bike firm was one of the big winners in Tuesday's session, up more than 25 percent on news of its corporate shakeup. Speculation, too, that the company might put itself up for sale That helped it as well. Peloton pulling back a little bit in early trading today, as you can see, down a little over 3%. And shares are down more than 70% over the past 12 months for Peloton as sales of its equipment slow. Shares of Chipmaker Global Foundries jumping after its fourth quarter results beat expectations. The company posting net profit of $43 million versus a loss of more than $500 million a year ago. Joining me now is the CEO of the company, Tom Caulfield. Great to see you and thanks for being with us.
8: Uh, good morning, Allison. thanks for having us.
1: So looking at your earnings uh, revenue for your fourth quarter, topping Wall Street estimates, revenue up for all of 2021. That's as the global shortage of semiconductors continues.
8: Yeah, we're really proud of, uh, of our results, uh, continuous improvement through the year. I have to tell you our 15,000 employees worldwide almost through two years of a pandemic, have uh, not missed a beat. They have just been amazing and awesome for us.
1: Can you speak to exactly what's causing the chip shortage? Uh, You know, lots of consumers want to know. I mean, this is happening across a broad spectrum of of industries, you know, from computers to automobiles. People want to know when the recovery in the chip supply will begin. And, you know, what does the rest of the year look like?
8: So uh, let me start with I think my, at least my view of how we, we got here. For the longest time, we were uh, a world that was in an industry that was timed to the PC or compute-centric part of the of the value chain. So semiconductors were predominantly putting in the compute as a part of the of, the, of the deployment. But since about the last decade or so, we've seen the pervasive deployment in almost of semiconductors in almost everything imaginable. Uh, you know, coffee makers being connected to the, uh, the, the internet thermostats. And, and what's happened is there's been an underinvestment in these feature-rich chips that combine all these different functions of, of computational capability, embedded memory for security, uh, RF for connectivity, and there's been an underinvestment. And, and I think what really happened here was, uh, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic really accelerated this mismatch in supply and demand. I think this was something that was going to happen a little bit later in time, maybe not as dramatic. So that's how we got here. How are we going to get out of it? You know, it's not like there's a zero or one here. There's mismatch, you know, not enough supply to demand, and all of a sudden it's fixed. There's levels of that. And I think in 2022, we'll see that gap close, but nowhere near where we need it to close. And there's a lot of investment going on in the industry to try to catch up, but not only catch up to today's gap but to also catch up to the growing demand that will happen over time. And, you know, GF's uh, doing our part. We're investing uh, $6.5 mm-hmm. $6. $6. million between 2020 uh, and 2021 to expand our capacity as well.
1: And is that why Global itself? Do itself? Do you feel like as a company that you're behind then?
8: Oh, we have. I wouldn't say we're behind. I'd say there's more demand than we can satisfy with our capacity, and that's why we're investing in capacity. But we're doing it with our customers in partnership that they know they can count on us to create the supply and we do it with an intent. It's not only with customers, but it's with the market segments our customers are trying to serve. As you said, automotive, for example, smart mobile devices and and applications like that.
1: You know, one company comes to mind that was just in the headlines this week. Um, and I know that in November, your company announced a partnership with Ford to boost chip supplies to them. But, you know, Ford announced it had to actually stop production at its assembly plant in Chicago, as well as its plant in Mexico because of a chip shortage. It, you're supplying the chips to Ford. I would assume that you're just one of the companies supplying chips. Do you, do you know what happened there?
8: Well, so when we are one of the many, uh, I would tell you our Uh, contribution to the auto industry was two and a half to three times more of our manufacturing output year on year from 2020 to 2021. And it's going to grow again in 2022. I would say early on in in 2021, we were one of the gating components and we responded to that. And and I think we've got out of kind of harm's way. And I think what you're seeing again is back to this pervasive deployment of semiconductor. The automotive unit growth is not going to be very high, right? The number of automobiles. But the content of semiconductors to create all these rich features, autonomous driving, new generations of radar, the content of semiconductor in cars is growing. And the auto industry is, going to, is, is, is taking action to become much more aware of semiconductors and that supply chain and being actively involved in making sure they secure the supply for their future.
1: Tom Caulfield CEO of Global Foundries thanks so much for you know taking these steps and walking us through exactly what's happening in your industry really appreciate your time
8: my pleasure Allison thank you
1: Good to see you more now on the trucker protest in Canada the demonstrations over COVID restrictions are starting to disrupt supply chains in the. US CNN's Gabe Cohen has more
9: The busiest international crossing in North America, the Ambassador Bridge between Ontario and Detroit, brought to a halt by anti-vaccine truckers and protesters. A Canadian spectacle that could soon hit American wallets. The so-called Freedom Convoy has been disrupting Canadian roads and cities for weeks, demanding an end to federal vaccine mandates, including new rules at the U.S. border for truckers heading both directions.
5: We're asking for our freedom.
9: Now plans are underway for a U.S. trucker convoy in the coming weeks.
5: We need help. Some of us haven't slept.
9: This trucking turmoil could accelerate the shortages and brutal inflation Americans are already facing. Between the protests and mandates, fewer truckers are making trips across the Canadian border, creating new delivery delays and more surging costs.
5: Whether it's groceries, whether it's
6: school supplies, whether it's clothing for their kids, everyday Americans will be hit by this right away.
9: It's just another strain on the trucking industry, which is driving much of this inflation. Trucking prices are up 44% since 2020, with demand for delivery surging over the past year amid a long-standing trucker shortage.
6: It takes about 4 to 10 days simply to find a driver. That's one of the direct impacts of taking what we think is about 12,000 to 14,000 drivers out of the mix.
9: Americans could soon see more price hikes on a range of Canadian products, from lumber and auto parts to meat and grains just take produce. The star group in Canada has plenty of it, but without enough truckers, they're waiting days to ship food and in some cases dumping supply because it went bad before pickup.
2: There are going to be shortages.
9: And since the protest started, Canadian company Catania Worldwide is paying 20% more to ship their produce to the U.S.
2: And it's a cost that has to be passed on.
9: U.S. produce prices have already spiked 12% in the past year, and that may rise, along with many other products. Spartan Nash, a U.S. grocery company, is now funding their own trucker certification and positioning products in warehouses nationwide in case delivery issues intensify, which would come at a cost to customers. We are certainly preparing for the possibility of more disruptions. In December, the Biden administration launched a trucking action plan to streamline the trucker licensing process and ramp up recruitment. But some companies want urgent relief. It's, it's tough. I mean, right Ken now, Clark's company moves construction equipment. They're now seeing three to four week delays from Canada. Um, we've seen some prices go up as high as you know double, triple. His equipment goes to a range of companies, from power plants to flour mills, all of which could pass along those price hikes
0: those costs are going to get pushed into their product eventually.
1: Coming up on First Move, Pandora is known for charms and bracelets, but now it has its eyes on climate change. I chat with the CEO about plans to make a brighter impact. That's after the break. Stay with us. Shine, shimmer, and sustainability. Pandora is known for their signature charm bracelet. Now the world's biggest jewelry brand is setting ambitious climate targets, and it's launched a brand new, a brand new collection using lab-created diamonds. Pandora's CEO, Alexander Lasik, joins me now. Great to have you with us today. Thank you. It looks like investors like your earnings, uh, plus a proposed share buyback.
10: Well, I mean, uh, last year we have a lot of good things to talk about. We had a record-breaking year. We had a record-breaking quarter four, which is, of course, is the big trading moment for us. Uh, And on top of that, I think uh, beyond what we do, it's uh, quite pleasing also to how we do it. And the sustainability story is obviously one part of that.
1: And we're going to get to that in just a moment. I want to talk about diamonds, though, because this is, this is something that's relatively new because in May you said that Pandora will no longer use mined diamonds for any new designs and that you have switched to man-made stones that are produced in laboratories with the launch of Pandora Brilliance. First of all, how is Pandora Brilliance going?
10: So uh, we launched uh, Brilliance uh, only in U.K., Um, We saw that as a test. um, The average price for a Pandora product is maybe $40. Um, The kind of entry price for a Lab Credit Diamond is uh, probably 10 times that. And we've designed this to be attractive to our uh, existing Pandora customers. Uh, But one thing is what you do in your concept testing. The other one is what happens in reality. Uh, so, So there was a real... Uh, kind of test to see whether our customers would be interested in what we had to propose. And, uh, you know, we can now safely uh, look back and say they liked what they saw. And on that basis, we've decided that we're going to go global with uh, this um, initiative.
1: And so when will you reach the U.S.?
10: Oh, I get this question a lot on when. Uh, what we learned also last year was once we were in market, we got fierce competition, as you can expect. So, therefore, I've declined to let my competition know when and where I'm going to come.
1: Okay, understood. You know, there are many consumers who have a hard time getting past the perception, the thinking that a, a diamond created in a lab is not real. Are you, are you encountering that from any of your customers
10: Well, surprisingly, we armed our uh, salespeople with lots and lots of argument because at the end of the day, a diamond is a diamond. It's just that the pathway is different. One has been created with uh, modern technology. Another one has kind of been created by Mother Earth for millions of years. The end result is the same thing. Uh, But what actually happened in the stores that the customers that were interested in this proposition, this was not the key topic. The key topic is the design and, and the price, actually, very much like when we sell other jewelry. So that story wasn't as, as pertinent as we maybe had uh, anticipated.
1: OK, I want to talk about your climate change uh, commitments. Pandora committed to being carbon neutral in your operations in total by 2025. This includes labs, offices, retail stores, warehouses. Talk us through why this is so important to you.
10: So I I think, I mean, you just have to look around. And I keep saying this, you know, uh, if I I have the opportunity to leave the world in a little bit better place than when I uh, got here, then I'm kind of participating in that. So I think it's important. uh, We're being the largest jewelry company out there in volume terms. We have a big role to play and show the way uh, in the industry, and that's what we're doing. So it's not just the right thing to do. uh, That's an important motivator personally, but it's also future-proofing our business. uh, Because I I do think that at one point consumers will uh, take note whether you're a socially responsible company. We can already see, of course, NGOs are pushing this agenda, but I can also see that the financial community is now starting to uh, raise the bar and require companies that they invest in to, mm-hmm. to have a proper uh, attempt to, to, to do some work in the sustainability area.
1: Have you encountered any supply chain issues affecting production or getting raw materials?
10: Uh, during last year, I mean, our biggest raw material input is silver and there's plenty of silver to go around. We also then only uh, really buy uh, recycled silver and gold into our own production and, and there's still uh, there's no, no shortage of that. So no, that has not been a, a big issue. Then there are some materials uh, here and there, but, but vastly speaking, no, we're we we are kind of okay.
1: Okay, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Valentine's Day. I would imagine that's a huge holiday for Pandora.
10: I mean, we have a couple of moments in the year, Valentine's, Mother's Day, um, Christmas trading, Black Friday. Those are the kind of big, uh, key trading moments. Uh, And, you know, we have our knives uh, sharp. Uh, We had a very good Valentine's Day last year, so we took a lot of learning, a lot of exciting new products that we put in the stores this year. So we're very hopeful that this is going to be a good period for us again.
1: Okay. Alexander Lasek, CEO of Pandora, great talking with you today. Thank you. Coming up on First Move, China has not been a country that's big on winter sports, but now the Olympic host is trying to grow a mega snow sports industry. That's next. Welcome back to First Move. China is hoping winter sports fans will stick around after the Olympics are over. The government has poured billions of dollars into building up sports tourism. And even though the snow at the Winter Games is mostly made by machines, tourists seem to be taking to it naturally. David Culver has the story.
11: Beijing playing host to its second Olympics, but these are the first winter games held in China's capital city. Given that many parts of China rarely see below freezing temperatures, winter sports are traditionally not as popular. Bye. But that is changing.
3: Bye. Bye. Bye.
11: Eric Zhang and his toddler twins Bye. Bye. just got back from a ski trip in northeastern China. Growing up in southern China, Eric never even saw snow until he moved to the U.S. for college. It was there he started skiing. And now, as a dad,
3: he's made it a family hobby. I heard of so many friends around me, and then they are starting to learn ski. They are starting to learn snowboard. Even right? as adults. Even as learned. adults, right? And then so we are bringing our kids to onto the snow. The industry is going to be booming.
11: Booming in typical China fashion. Take Zhang City, Shanghai. The lack of snow and ice? Not a problem. Artificial skating rinks like this one are built annually with the help of snow-making machines, giving kids in today's southern China a luxury generations before them never experienced. Getting a feel for the slopes on these ski simulators. In the past five or so years, more than 100 of these climate-controlled machines have sprung up in Shanghai alone. As people across China warm up to the idea of winter sports, you've got more and more indoor ski facilities like this one here in Shanghai that are opening up. And with that, you have a rapidly expanding market for it. As part of its Olympic campaign, the Chinese government unveiled an ambitious winter sports development plan in 2016, aiming to construct 650 skating rinks and 800 ski resorts by the end of this year and to grow the scale of the industry to top $150 billion by 2025, a lucrative market that attracts both domestic and international businesses. China is proud of the surging craze. Since Beijing won its bid for the Winter Olympics seven years ago, the government says it has successfully motivated more than 300 million Chinese to participate in winter sports a target set by Chinese President Xi Jinping in 2014. We should take the opportunity to popularize ice and snow sports, Xi stresses. But China's speedy growth also brings problems. The quality and service of its ski resorts are still relatively behind more traditional ski resorts in the West. There are also environmental concerns. The massive artificial snowmaking in ski resorts stretches already exhausted water resources. Back at his Shanghai apartment, ski enthusiast Eric Zhang hopeful for what's ahead.
3: I think Winter Olympics is going to be a strong booster for this. You are going to see the huge boost in the enthusiasm and passion of the Chinese people in this winter sport.
11: An Olympic ambition for a once rural nation primed to make winter sports mainstream to last long after the closing ceremonies. David Culver, CNN, Beijing.
1: And finally, on First Move, a major setback for Elon Musk's SpaceX. Three, two,
2: one. Lift off Starlink 47.
1: It all looked good when a Falcon 9 rocket launched nearly 50 Starlink satellites into orbit last week, but a geomagnetic storm. Just a day later, effectively destroyed most of them. SpaceX promises there's no danger to other satellites or anyone else on Earth. That's it for the show. I'm Alison Kosick. Feel free to reach out to me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Kosick. Thanks for joining us. Connect the World with Becky Anderson is next. I will see you soon.
0: When you work, you work next level.